This episode of PodSAM is supported by Mountain Guard. It is now the highest priority of our organization. We have a, an annual offsite every June, and we go through what the big issues for the company are at the time and what we need to tackle. The number one topic was community relations. You have tuned into PodSAM, the podcast channel of SAM Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. It is the fifth year of SAM's leadership development program, the Summit Series, where we have gathered a group of current and emerging leaders for four facilitated discussions on the industry's pressing issues. Over the course of the winter, we will be sharing those conversations here on PodSAM and in the pages of SAM Magazine. On this episode, five of our mentors discuss community and stakeholder engagement with our group of mentees. The mentors on today's episode are David Norton, CEO of Taos Ski Valley, New Mexico, Tim Foster, Chief of Mountain Operations at Sun Peaks, British Columbia, John Hammond, President of Sugarbush Resort, Vermont, Tara Schettinger, Vice President and General Manager of Crested Butte Mountain Resort, Colorado, and Charles Skinner, owner and president of Midwest Family Ski Resorts. The facilitator for this discussion is Dr. Natalie Uwe, Associate Professor for the Masters of Outdoor Recreation Economy Program at CU Boulder. The Summit Series is brought to you through the support of our longtime sponsor and partner, Mountain Guard. Tim Barnhorst and his team have been tremendous supporters of education and leadership development in the snow sports industry. We'll kick the conversation off here with our facilitator, Dr. Natalie Uwe. Thanks everyone for having me here. Uh, so as mentioned, my name is Natalie Uwe. I am a teaching associate professor at CU Boulder. And in particular, I lead the sustainability in the outdoor industry specialization for the Masters of the Environment program at CU, and that's our on-campus degree. And then we also have this online graduate certificate program that has a number of different certificates in the outdoor rec economy. And the one I lead um, and is relevant to today's conversation is looking at community economic development and the outdoor rec economy. And so an easy way to say that is simply, you know, how do we build resilient communities through outdoor recreation, whether that's ski areas and tourism or other forms of outdoor recreation broadly. As Olivia mentioned, you know, I've been involved with SAM for a while. Um, I was previously the Director of Graduate Tourism Programs at Colorado State University, which included the Ski Area Management Graduate Certificate that some of you might be familiar with. So moving on to today's topic, a focus of my teaching and research really has been looking at socio-cultural sustainability. And so I often like to say that's really the most overlooked pillar of sustainability when we talk about the triple bottom line. So, you know, most of the time, uh, companies and communities have been focusing on minimizing environmental impacts and being economically sustainable so that they can continue to exist into the future. However, historically, not as much attention has been given to the importance of building and maintaining strong community relationships, being respectful of local and diverse cultures and engaging with stakeholders in meaningful ways and why this is important. And this is going to be really at the core of today's conversation. Now, as we all on the call know, there's a lot of complexity 
that accompanies running a ski area and the success of a ski area is often closely intertwined with its surrounding community, um, whether that be to source and house employees or maybe the community itself is an integral part of the tourism experience. Or even, you know, sometimes ski areas share the brand, the same brand with the destination which in with within which they're located or at least uh, nearby. And so it's really, really important, therefore, to think about community relationships and what commu- meaningful community relationships look like. It's also important to note there are a number of challenges that ski areas and mountain resort communities are currently facing whether that be climate change, a lack of employee and affordable housing, uh, looking at overcrowding, cultural clashes and conflicts that might occur between, say, tourism and other industries or between long-term residents and second-home owners or newly arrived remote workers that we've seen uh, since the start of COVID. And these are just to name a few. And the reality is, is that these issues and challenges are such that no one individual or business or group can really address and solve them on their own. And so what's needed instead is cooperation and collaboration and partnership between the public, private and nonprofit sectors to pull ideas, funding um, and additional resources to collectively tackle these challenges while also creating a holistic vision for the future that's going to identify what are the common values and goals and strategies and actions that the community as a whole can work towards. And so examples like this, you know, are things like destination stewardship and management plans. But as we all know, these plans, these collaborations and partnerships don't just happen. Um, Instead, they do require a lot of trust and years of relationship building and meaningful engagement. And when I'm talking about meaningful, what we're really talking about here are both the formal and informal ways in which we interact with our communities um, and provide opportunities for participation in decision-making that goes beyond the tokenistic sort of invite to the table and allows folks to have influence in the final decisions being made. Now, in saying that, it doesn't mean that you need to involve the community at large in every single decision that a ski area makes, given that most or many ski areas are private businesses, but it is important to know when to engage, how to engage them, and at what point in decision-making processes to ensure the best possible outcome for all involved, whether we're talking about getting projects approved, uh, whether we're talking about, you know, affordable housing, uh, whatever the issue at hand. And so on that note, I really wanted to open it up to our mentors and invite each of you to start this conversation off by sharing a specific example of when you have meaningfully engaged with your community and in particular who and and why it was so important. Start with David Norton. So I arrived in Taos six years ago, and uh, it's a very diverse community. You know, a lot of I came from Stowe, and and Stowe really felt like a a ski resort town, like a like a and this it felt like the ski business was intertwined and really part of the community. Where here in Taos, uh. The mountain is fantastic, but the town is a little bit separated and we've got a really diverse culture here. Uh, the Taos Pueblo Indigenous Nation has been here for a thousand years. They've been living on the same property for a thousand years. It's, it's uh, the longest continuously inhabited civilization in all of North America. The Spanish came up from Mexico in the early 1500s. The artists came across in the early 1900s. The Europeans developed skiing in the 1950s and the, uh, I think the hippies came in the 60s and 70s. So it's a, it really is a, a diverse 
place. But when I got here, one of the first things I was asked to do was to attend the annual meeting with the with the war chief of the Taos Pueblo. And I had no idea um, that there was a war chief. I didn't really know why we're, we were meeting. But uh, Natalie, you asked what was one of the most influential relationships. I think I think working with the Pueblo, they're, they're on the other side of the mountain. I mean, obviously we are recreating on uh, ancient lands and, and uh, but to understand the culture of the Taos Pueblo, to understand their approach to land and conservation and preservation and to really open up a dialogue so that, uh, you know, as you say, as you go through different aspects of your business, business decision-making, that you have uh, good collaboration, good communication with the, with the various local uh, stakeholder groups. So by far, that was the most influential or, uh, meeting for me to understand the importance of community relations here. And it, over the four or five years, we've maintained that we, we meet frequently. And earlier this year, we signed a, for the first time, a memorandum of understanding for mutual respect and collaboration. So we continue to build on this. It's, it's vitally important to everything we do. And, and now we have support from the Pueblo. We've got Pueblo Kids Scheme at the Mountain and all sorts of uh, programs and other goodwill has, has come of that initial uh, meeting. That's great. Tara, let's let's go to you next. I've got a number of these. I've been here um, in Crested Butte since um, a year ago, June, so just over a year. And um, it's a really small community. And uh, yeah, and it was recent. This resort was recently acquired by Vail Resorts. There are people who don't love the idea of a large corporation owning a resort that has been privately owned by families. Um, historically. And by being owned by a large company, we've been able to invest a lot of money into the infrastructure. So people that um, that are aware of that and know what it was like before um, we began investing in this property, um, many of them really appreciate it um, once they know that component of it. But I would say probably the most influential relationship that we have in addition to both the towns, town of Crested Butte and town of Mount Crested Butte, as well as Gunnison County is um, with our US Forest Service partners. Um, most of the mountain is national lands and um, our mountain ops leader has spent the last 30 years forging a really, really strong and positive relationship with our um, local forest service um, representatives and it makes everything go so smoothly. Um, we've worked on developing our operating plan templates. Those get submitted smoothly every single season. Um, we had an issue come up last year. We also, um, we support our local adaptive sports center and they operate on our mountain. Um, and I wasn't aware being kind of new that we didn't allow e-bikes even for adaptive. I knew that we didn't allow them just generally um, yet, but uh, I didn't realize that we didn't allow them for adaptive. And I found out um, through a horrible social media post. Um, and what we were able to do, which I wouldn't normally respond to something um, that came across like that. And, but what we were able to do was change our policy that day, effective immediately. 
because we have such a positive relationship with our forest service, local forest service partners. And um, we were able to do that right before the adaptive mountain biking world championships. And we were able to make a huge impact with this individual that felt really impacted by this. Um, and for me, that was, that's been one of the most meaningful relationships for our operations as a whole. And I, I mean, I can't, I can't say enough about the relationships that we have with our local community partners as well. Charles, let's go over to you. Yeah, sure. Um, the ski area I spent the most time at is our Lutzen ski area, which is about 90 miles north of, of Duluth in a county the size of Rhode Island with 5,000 people in it. That is um, very tourism oriented. It's probably 80 to 90 percent tourism. And when I first arrived here, um, I just kind of, you know, I, I joined like land use task force committees and that kind of thing. And I was always trying when I was very young, the, as young as these mentees, I was thinking, well, I just need to get to know the people in charge. And after a number of years, you know, not, not always doing community things, but just working on our business, I, I figured out that really nobody was in charge. And, you know, it was just kind of a disorganized community. And, uh, you know, we didn't have a strategic plan. We had three separate tourism organizations. We didn't have a chamber. Um, we didn't have any of those things. And so I think the most meaningful thing that, that we worked on together was to try to get some like-minded people from across the community to come together, to come up with an economic and strategic plan and to move towards forming one countywide um, chamber and one countywide visitors bureau. And uh, you know, we, we did that and it, the community is a lot more knit together than it used to be. Uh, the different parts of the community used to think they competed against each other. So up on the Gunflint Trail where the boundary waters were, they thought they were competing against the, the lakeshore places and the part further down. So um, yeah, that, that's I think the most meaningful thing that I've worked on. John? So having worked at Sugarbush for about 30, well, over 30 years, I've uh, worked for many different owners and governors and five different Forest Service permit administrators. So <laughs> lots of relationships to form. I think one that I didn't really realize until probably two years ago is that um, that how active that that relationship actually needs to be. And being, being just at the resort and being available isn't the same as really actively going out and meeting with the towns and meeting with our permit administrator, things like that. And uh, so that, I guess, probably, I don't have like a specific example, but really what I've found is that I need to call our permit administrator at least once a month to check in and say, hi, you know, I think everyone wants to be included in what's going on. And when there's a void and sort of you're not communicating on what's going on. People sort of tune out, or they, you know, feel like you're doing something that you shouldn't be, or that you're uh, just, uh, you know, they take it personally. So, uh, I spend a lot of time talking to our Forest Service and to our local towns, probably the most. And uh, and on those things, I'm actually dealing mostly with the select boards. We operate in three different towns, and so it's a little. Nothing at Sugarbush is easy, including the skiing. So like we might as well keep our uh, all of the other side of it the same. So we operate in three towns plus the Forest Service. We're the closest uh, ski resort to the capital here in Vermont. So we get all of the administrators and regulators here. So it's always exciting and fun. So <laughs> those are our stakeholders. Tim? I guess uh, a little bit on 
how things work in British Columbia. Uh, the province of British Columbia uh, basically con controls the land base. Uh, our resort um, has a, a master de development agreement uh, secured with with the province. Um, but uh, beyond that, uh, we have First Nations uh, relationships with a number of bands that that are, are in our area. And then uh, about 13 years ago, the municipality of Sun Peaks was created. So essentially Sun Peaks started as a, a ski lift and uh, became a community uh, over the past 30 years. So uh, through that process, there's obviously, um, uh, it was a bit easier at the beginning this, uh, for obvious reasons is that the province and the ski area were involved in the bulk of the conversations and then as it's kind of expanded over time uh, with all the different stakeholders getting involved um, to the point uh, you know where we probably spend the majority of our time now um, working with the municipality of which as the municipality was created the ski area did have a, um, a member on council it was an appointed member by the province which uh, as of this past election here on October the 15th uh, changed where there was no longer an appointed Counselor, so things constantly change uh, as the community grows and evolves, and I, I think you cannot underestimate. I think, like everyone has said here, the power of relationship. You know, the early morning uh, coffee chat, uh, the chairlift discussion, the jump on the mountain bike and go for a ride. Um, you know, they're all important ways to, you know, forge relationships with with the different partners. Um, so that, you know, when the conversations do happen um, that are a little bit more serious or require a little bit more tact uh, and, and, you know, focus, um, they can go a little bit easier because, uh, you know, everyone has interests and it's about, you know, coming together and trying to determine how all the interests uh, can meld uh, to create this strong uh, focused community that can move forward um, and, and be healthy together. So, you know, that's really... Uh, a little bit about British Columbia and how things work here. Now, the, you, your expertise on this and you teach this topic, um, you know, as I listen to these leaders talk about it and and it, it's it recently struck me as well. We were listening to some call with with um, Mike Kaplan from Aspen and Rusty, and they were laughing, saying that, you know, there was a time when um, this was not a big part of their job. And they said, now it is the biggest part of their job is community relations and engaging the key stakeholders. So, um, you know, how much of your time I hear you, Tim, talk about it's a it's a constant. I mean, how, how much as it to these emerging leaders, how much of their time, you know, as when they move into a leadership role, can they expect on working on this, these relationships and with these key stakeholders? How much of your job? You think it's all operational, but it sounds like it's not. Oh, I, I think uh, every bit of it is about the relationship. Um, there's not a, a day that goes by probably that I don't have a conversation or a meet of some sort uh, with somebody in the community. And yeah, I certainly encourage that. You know, I guess maybe I, 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 I certainly think it is a priority and it doesn't matter who who one is in the community, if, uh, if there's something to be talked about, you know, I'll always make time uh, for that discussion. And I get it, we're all busy. And, you know, there's a line of people at your door and email in your inbox. But um, yeah, I don't think you can, you can be uh, any more focused on relationship. Uh, it's the number one priority. David, how much of your time do you think is spent 
on community relations and and working on those key stakeholder engagements? Uh, it, it's a great question. Uh, and <clears throat> it is now the highest priority of our organization. We have a an annual offsite <clears throat> every June and we go through what the big issues for the company are at the time and what we need to tackle. The number one topic was community relations. Uh, we're hiring a community relations manager right now. And I am on cup number four of my goal of 100 cups of tea for the year. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the idea is truly to meet, have 100 meetings over the course of the next 50 weeks, two meetings per week. And the idea is uh, you know, through meetings and actually it's a, it's a discussion. It's more than a meeting. It's just getting to know each other, getting to have relationships. Uh, it, I, I don't know why it has become such a big and important thing. Uh, I do believe society has changed a little bit. I do believe that, you know, as John was mentioning, everybody wants to be involved. And I also feel as though COVID drove a little bit of a wedge between us. And there was a lot of no communication because you weren't supposed to gather and you weren't supposed to uh, be with others. So people are feeling even less informed. So all of a sudden it, it feels like the community is, is percolating a little bit with anxiety. So we're gonna to try to mend that by having um, multiple meetings a week. But to answer your question, how much of my time? A lot. It, it, is, it is the number one priority. And I agree with Tim. If they make a call, go meet with them, hang out, spend some time. It's vital to the, to the, to the business and to the community. And, and they, they're all looking for it. They really are demanding of your team, but they, they want to know that you're attentive and they want to know that you're committed. So it's, it, it's an enormous uh, part of the day-to-day -day job. John, have you, have you been there a while? Have you seen something sort of that's grown in the past few years of a more vocal, if you've got more second homeowners as one of your stakeholders or more uh, vocal about things that have become main stage employee housing? Are you, are you feeling there's an amped up atmosphere of uh, needing to communicate more with your stakeholders? I think I would just say that I think everyone is more vocal now. So it's it's just that there's more groups that want to, to be right in front. And, and all these interactions aren't necessarily negative. Um, you know, it, it, it's, you know, Tim mentioned going for a bike ride with somebody. I, I bike with one of the select board members all the time. And, and that's a great time just to, to build trust and have a relationship where you're just sort of, you know, you're both enjoying the same thing and you're both realizing that, you know, we live in the same town, we do the same things. And that's those common pieces. I think there's some questions in the chat about, you know, how do you build these relationships? And really the big piece that I see for, for us as leaders in the industry is that there's a reason that people, for the most part, are communicating with you. It's because they actually like what you're, where you live and what you're doing, or at least the area that you live in. So they're vested as much as you are in the community. And so if you can sort of show that you have like-minded goals and at least you care as much it really goes a long way. 
I think that brings up a good point there where, you know, when we talk about relationship building, it shouldn't just be about meeting with folks when there's a reason to meet with folks, right? Because there's a complaint or because you need something, but really looking at relationship building is something that goes much, that is much bigger than that. And actually being based on, it doesn't have to be based entirely on work. So whether it's writing, you know, having that relationship where you have a writing partner with someone, or maybe it's someone you do meet for a cup of coffee every, every couple of weeks, but Talking and building that relationship that goes beyond work can can also be be hugely influential, especially when we talk about building trust. Throughout the conversation, the mentees were invited to share their questions with the mentors. This question comes from Charlotte Skinner of Midwest Family Resorts. So my question was, you know, we sometimes you end up in a situation with decisions that have been made or requests that are um, on the table that have led stakeholders to not even want to come to the table to have a discussion. Um, and I very much recognize the importance of building those relationships outside of work. But when work has kind of caused that relationship to not even want to start or begin, how do you go about inviting them back to the table or finding different ways to build a relationship when they the stakeholder doesn't want to have a relationship? Yeah, I think that that's... Um... It's an interesting question. I don't know that I've experienced it exactly the way that you just asked it, um, just because my experiences have been different. But when I arrived here, we had a, a town manager here in Mount Costa Butte, and the relationship was pretty um, tense. And they were doing things that weren't initially aligned with the council. And um, and so it was a difficult relationship for me being new. And what I did was I worked on developing relationships with their council, um, sort of the relationships around that person to try to bring that person back to the table with the appropriate mindset um, so that we can move forward. That person's no longer here anymore. And since then we've been really fortunate in that our relationships have um, really blossomed and we have coffee on a regular basis. I don't know how many cups of chai tea I drink every week, David, um, but I might be up there with you. And um, yeah, I would say that, you know, just building some of those relationships around that person, even if they won't, if they won't come to the table, um, there's usually people around them who will. Our next question comes from Tyler Foreman of White Pass, Washington. Yeah, so I'm seeing, I mean, I think we're all seeing the economic impacts of, of growth in our towns. And there's a, a significant part of, the, of some of the small mountain communities that are getting pushed out. And those are our employees and some of our, our longtime local guests. And even if we can prevent them from being priced out as, as, a, as a ticket purchaser or a pass holder, you know, there's there's the housing problems and things like that, and so, so the economic resilience often has that double, you know, the double-edged sword effect. And I'm just wondering what your efforts, any of you have been a part of, or efforts you've seen that have kind of helped find that balance. How are you balancing how the, the how are you balancing the growth with preserving that culture that made the place what it really is? It's not easy. Uh, no matter which way you look at it, you know, the power of economics, depending on how your company is formulated, whether it's 
private or non-for-profit or owned by you know the city or what have you right so i i think the number one thing and i'll just use it to our example where we're at um, our community has grown it's doubled its size in the past five years uh, i think like many communities it's uh, real estate has finally caught up with the joneses so to speak um we were benefited with maybe slightly less inflated real estate costs that has changed i believe COVID has changed how people handle things uh there's no longer you know places for rent for employees in the community so all of a sudden the demand for um you know, places for people to stay, whether they're a seasonal employee or a, uh, a full-time year-round employee. And it's not just our organization. Um, there's also the many other organizations in the community, uh, businesses that are all there. You know, it's a little bit easier for us, maybe in some aspects, because we can go build another building and house some more people. Um, it doesn't work that well for the rest of the community stakeholders because um, they might not be able to go buy a house to, to, to place all their people in for the winter season. So um, a, a bit of a collaborative effort on our side with the municipality and uh, private developer now with um, the Sun Peaks um, uh, housing authority that's being developed. And so we hope that within two years um, with a lot of uh, coffee room chats and mountain bike rides, um, you know, we're getting to the point where we, uh, might have uh you know 80 extra units of rental accommodation and maybe 40 50 units of of, of for sale uh housing accommodation for employees of the community but it, it's it's taken you know the writing's been on the wall for a number of years uh it's taken a long time to get there it takes a lot of of discussion of who's going to invest what because at the end of the day, somebody's got to end up kicking in the financial commitment to make it work, and uh, and finding the balance to that. So um, it's not impossible by any means. We're we've made some headway. I think within, like I say, two years, we'll we'll have something a uh, successful model that uh, hopefully will be starting construction this summer, and hopefully will evolve not just to help you know the employees that work for our company but it'll help the employees and the and the community members that want to live here call sun peaks their home their workplace they want to raise their children here go to the school uh, but in a way that's affordable uh, um, to the to that to that economic uh, side of things so you know, i hope that helps but that's just an example from our our resort our next question comes from penny paris ski saint bruno quebec Hi, so we're at the forefront of developing into a four season mountain and we don't have the conflicts yet, but I kind of see them coming down the line yet because everybody has a different idea of what should be here and what should happen. And they all have an invest, they're all invested when it comes to the people involved. They want to see things develop, but how do you manage those expectations? Because there will be people disappointed. They won't, we won't answer all of them. So, well, what we tried to do is to get the community together and at least come up with a plan of where they want to go. And I think there's a lot of alignment in, in where, the, you know, where most of the people in the community would agree on some of the aspects of it. And I think that's really important because in our polarized society right now, I mean, you have the left and you have the right and you have, um, you know, it's everything is a political issue. But once, if you could sit down and develop a, a common plan of at least a few things that the community wants to move forward with, 
then you can talk about concrete things that actually relate to um, the politics on the ground. And, you know, all politics is local and they should be local. And so you need to figure out what your issues are on a local basis that you can have alignment with a number of people. Yeah, and I think we're seeing some some examples where um, where unfortunately the divisiveness of the atmosphere right now does play out into some of these um, community relations. Uh, we, we sent you that article about the Gunstock Area Commission um, and what went down there with with the governance around that, and that really came down to as Tom Day would say in politics and and the differing views on on politics and which permeated into the operations of of um and the governance of of gunstock you know i think of well as well as the um vale trying to get some land for employee housing and um and they are just getting roadblock on roadblocked on that and and i think you know that probably has roots in community relations and relationships with stakeholders and and how those have um been developed or or underdeveloped so um there are definite examples of um and so on that note has has anybody have an example there's always great learnings from lessons learned any example small or large where um the hindsight was was the brilliance of I should have done this or should have spent more time on this or if you know is there anybody who wants to share a lesson learned? Yeah, I'm happy to share something that's a work in progress. We'll 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 see how it plays out. Okay. Uh, and maybe this helps Penny a little bit. We we took a little bit of a risky approach. We also are on a special use permit with the Forest Service, and when you're on Forest Service land, you have a master development plan that needs to be updated every seven or eight or nine years. And we're at that point where we're ready to update that master development plan. And, and the risk that we have taken is rather than create a plan and put it in front of the community, we had an open forum and had the community visit us, eight large round tables with a map with nothing on it. It had the existing conditions and nothing else. And we asked the community what they wanted. And there was a bunch of markers and they scribbled all over the maps. <laughs> and, you know, the, what we have to do is try to figure out how do we take what we want <laughs> and, and not take maybe what we, what we don't want. But a lot of the ideas that came forward were ideas that we had contemplated. And the beauty of the exercise was that it we can reference that this was a community-led effort. And we are working our way through uh, an EA right now, an environmental assessment, and we're about, I'd say, 40% of the way through. Most of the ideas in the plan came out of that initial session. I think we may have modified a thing or two, and we may not have um, introduced a thing or two. And uh, again, as I said, we, we don't yet have our, our permit and we'll see how this plays out. But I, I think we were nervous going in, truly have given the community a blank slate, but we were really pleased with the outcome so far. So check in in about six or nine months, we'll tell you how we made out, but we feel as though 
it at least allowed us to legitimately say that we we heard and we, we listened and and I think so many people part of it is they they simply want to be heard they want to know that their voice is heard they want to know that their ideas are in play and and it's okay to reject those ideas if you can share the why behind it but that was a, a different approach to development that we took and we'll see how it plays out but so far, it feels like it's it's okay. We didn't go too uh, sideways yet. Great to hear that too, David, because that it really is best practice when we look at what stakeholder engagement should look like, you know, trying to involve the community early. Um, exactly, you know, rather than doing the work and then presenting it just for review, but really getting them as part of that process to even take ownership um, can be really, really useful, especially if the intent is to try and use as much of that input as possible versus um, doing it as a checklist thing that has to be done, um, but you know the result's going to go off and do their own thing anyway. So I think that's that's an awesome uh, thing to hear. You know that right. skiers are out there doing that. I don't want to piggyback on what Dave said. You know we've uh, managed one of one of the Claybrook Hotel here residences, and you you tend to hear from the most vocal people and the most opinionated people. And when you can try to really engage, so we did a survey for the entire community that were involved in that development. And we were, you know, like list your top three most important things. Tell us if you wanna be involved in this or that. And what we found out is that for the most part, 90% of the people wanted to be, you know, they were aligned in what they wanted, but the people that we heard from were the, the fringes. And so being able to come back to that group and explain to them that, you know, Hey, we, we listen to you. We, we value your opinion. And what we found is that you guys have overwhelmingly said this. And, and that was uh, a good way for us to, to not have to say, you know, your view is not important, but it's what we found is that most people want this. And, and I think that's part of um, Kelsey's question is like, you know, when you're trying to engage with the town, or, you know, when, when it's a corporate ownership that's taken over the, the, the evil empire, you know, ultimately, you know, a lot of us are from here, we live here, you know, we're just invested in the community as they are and trying to realize, to personalize it. And again, try to get that feedback has been huge to try and sort of break down some of the barriers of the corporate culture versus, you know, we're all here trying to ski and make a living. All right, let's go to um, Ryan Robinson uh, from Powderhorn Mountain Resort. Thanks. My my question was about navigating conflicts and stakeholder interests. Um, I, it, there's been a number of great answers that uh, address some of that. So uh, just to add another layer on top of that, um, we're maybe a bit like David is in that our resort is somewhat, we don't have a ski town. We're somewhat removed from the Grand Valley. Uh, so uh, I guess part two is how do you how do you really pull in uh, parts of the community that historically have been um, somewhat disengaged uh, and and we would like like their input and uh, like them to contribute to the the long term viability of the resort. I I, I always use it's okay to phone them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I I think we need to understand that like if if we we look at our horizon and our landscape and I think there's always going to be uh, people, uh, individuals, organizations that you know, we may have heard of, or we maybe, you know, don't completely understand the history on or, you know, why there's friction. I quite often just take the high road and 
and enter into a discussion and uh, you know in, in whatever way it makes sense um, or at least put the put the opportunity out there for people. To just add to that, I, I think you're right. Just it, it, sometimes it is just a phone call to to make that connection. I I think it's really important where possible to meet in person and to go to them. Like rather than say, hey, come on up, I'd love you to visit. I think going to them and say, hey, do you mind if I stop by? And, and, and really what we're looking for is just love to have a chat, just swap some ideas. I'd like to learn more about your business or, or what you're involved in. And you know, I heard a couple of times, how do you start? Or I think you have to start gently, right? I think you have to ease your way in. I think the first conversation I often go in and I let them know I have no agenda. I would just love to meet. I'd love to get to know you better. Is there a time that works for you? I, I'd like to come down from the mountain and, and visit you at your office or at, on your property. But I think going to them, meeting in person and having no agenda is a, is a nice way to at least start, you, you know, and then it, it might lead to a next conversation and then you can get a little deeper into things. But if you're dealing with people that, that, you have not dealt with before and you're just just trying to open up those relationships i would i would recommend that that approach it seems to seems to work pretty nicely that's good advice our final mentee question is from connor o'sullivan stratton mountain vermont so i guess my question around community engagement and programs is understanding that there's usually a common uh, problem between a local business or entity that would be considered a competitor, but how do you bring them in to show direct support to them that you're actually supporting their growth in the community as well as the resorts? Thinking of on-resort examples such as community foundations, innkeeper programs, things like that, what are examples of key engagements to show these stakeholders that even though we might be competitors in a way, there's actually benefit to both of us working and highlighting that relationship we have? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think, honestly, David's approach is a really great way to start. You know, often we, you know, we, we like to sort of put it out there and say, look, hey, we're open and available. Come talk to us if you have any questions or concerns. But there is a power differential with many ski areas within their communities that I think we really need to, to explicitly acknowledge where when you're inviting a group to come and see you, that puts them in, in a position of, of discomfort because you're in your comfortable space talking to, to whoever the entity is. And so I think going out into the community, meeting with these different foundations, with these different businesses and highlighting exactly what you've just stated there is like, where are our common grounds? But really going out there with the intent to listen as well. So, so again, not going in with that agenda of, look, I'm here to meet, you know, to tell you where we align and this is what we need to do. Uh, instead, you know, go there and, and have that open conversation because, you know, just by having that open conversation, you'll likely identify the areas of overlap and the areas of mutual interest. Um, and when it comes up more organically like that, it doesn't feel like it's something that's forced upon anyone, which is automatically going to make someone be less inclined to want to partner and collaborate. Um, but also to be thoughtful and, and think ahead as to what is something that, you know, we as a resort can offer you know, to the to these different groups that you're trying to partner with. Um, it shouldn't be a one-way street. It should be something where both parties gain. I'm really being thoughtful about what that is to really help them advance their cause. Um, sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's visibility, right, um, and, and alignment. Um, and I think 
if, if you go into these conversations with that kind of attitude, you know, it really sets up a foundation for really fruitful long-term relationships that can blossom into something that's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, when you think about, you know, the resources that can be behind a resort and, and some of these partners as well. So, and, and Charles, because you have the three areas that you oversee and, you know, and, and there's probably a lot of tradition, you know, that, that you've had at these areas with the communities. Um, have you seen just kind of going back and picking a little bit about current times in the struggle with staffing and where I, I think this has driven a lot of us to have to kind of engage more with the community because we have widespread problems that we're all dealing with, uh, staffing and employee housing being one. Um, have you had to change you know, your time and how it's spent um, as, as a owner of these areas? And, and are you seeing more of your time spent on community relations or engaging key, uh, key stakeholders? Um, I probably spend 30 to 40% of my time on, on these kinds of issues. You know, my approach, I, I live 90 miles away from the ski area. So my approach has been to be uh, part of boards and uh, to try to help with the mission of those boards to move the whole community forward. Um, and, and going back to that competition question, you know, our county was at a situation where every hotel thought I was competing against the hotel next to it, thought I was competing against the, you know, the, the region 60 miles away, but still in our county kind of thing. And I think what, what was really meaningful to people is to realize, yes, you compete a little bit with that hotel next to you, but you really compete with you know, Duluth or the rest of Minnesota or Wisconsin or a trip out west or to D Disneyland. That's where the bigger market is. And you have so much more to be gained by working together um, and, and trying to get more business to come to your region than you do in worrying about whether your neighbor gets another night or two. Um, but um, you know, the, the problems are very different from when I first came here. Employee housing was not an issue and uh, it was tight, but, um, you know, we we now house all kinds of J1s and H2Bs and and uh, even just seasonal workers from the United States um, on our property. And um, we still haven't not solved the housing problem. And it's 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 a very difficult problem because the resorts can't afford to pay for the whole problem themselves. The governments don't feel it's really their job to quote subsidize um, private industry, um, but it, it it is going to have to be a shared solution, and it's going to take years, decades to to really fully solve in the way that the community would really want it to be solved. Building on that, Olivia, if we, if we want to think examples, you know, it's election day and, you know, I, I'm just thinking Eagle Valley, for example, has um, a measure on its ballot for regional transportation. And I think this is a great example of where previously in, you know, in the county, you had, you know, you had Vail and then you had bedroom communities in Colorado and they weren't always working together or saw themselves as having to work together to solve what was, you know, Vail's benefit, but also Vail's problems, right? Vail has a lot of sales tax revenue, but they also have issues with affordable housing. Um, but now the, the region as a whole has started to recognise that the only way to meaningfully address this is to work together. And so at a regional level, we're looking at conversations between, you know, the resorts, the different city managers, the county as a whole to talk about how do we use what were considered previously as Down Valley communities, but really look at it as a much broader regional ecosystem where we can't 
there is no land, you know, in Vale to build all this housing. So let's use Eagle, but let's create a regional transportation system that we all fund so that it becomes viable. And I think this is sort of, we're starting to see more community move in that direction of working regionally to address some of these big housing issues in particular, but with housing comes transportation too. So, so um, mentors were, um, as sort of a closing remark, um, if there was, you know, as as they all come, the mentees come from various backgrounds, but um, it this did feel like a topic that is, um, increasingly a, a big piece of um, when you get to resort leadership um, of what you guys are doing. So if you can impart, you know, some closing um, advice to our mentees, um, things that they might do now that might hone those skills or um, just just some advice as you think about, you know, the skills that you adapted along the way that you found really helpful right now in, in dealing with these relationships. Um. Yeah, I would say build relationships. Just go out and meet people, meet people where they are, be curious about them. Um, develop those relationships before you need those relationships. And um, yeah, sometimes we need their support on things. Sometimes we need them to do something for us. And what we want is for them to want to help us um, rather than for us to ask or negotiate for help. Um, and yeah, I think in any role we can do that. Um, right. Go out and volunteer in the community, build relationships that way. Volunteer to sit on boards that um, are part of your resort, whether you have HOAs or other local community boards. Um, just get involved with the community. I think those um, relationships and the skills that you learn from those relationships um, are always super valuable. Right, Tim? Yeah, I, I think um, in many different organizations, you know, there's a very similar trend. I think it's uh, the relationship build. I think one thing that's benefited me is is uh, taking the moment to kind of understand the history, um, where the relationship has come from, how it's developed, why, you know, who were the players in the past, uh, you know, so you have a little bit of an understanding of the context of 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 where the other side of the relationship might be coming from. Um, you can put yourself in their shoes a little bit. And, uh, and as I said earlier, you know, take the high road and try to, um, you know, be, um, be that person on the other end of the conversation that's, uh, that's genuine and, and interested in, um, you know, uh, just interested in being involved in the relationship. And, um, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit of, uh, you know, time to self-reflect, but, um, you know, certainly the understanding of the history to me has, uh, has benefited, um, when I, when I'm in conversation. So. Right. John, you, did your patrol background help you? You know, I would say that the big thing for, I would recommend is to reach out to your peers and to, you know, when you're, if you're trying to, you know, be at the resort and you want to make, you want to make friends with the, and get some trusted people around you and build a community that can help you succeed. And, you know, it's not just something that you have to do on your own. So like we definitely have reached out into town and found good partners that then help spread our message and also make it a little bit easier for us um, and also make it a little bit more fun. Uh, but I think that would be the, the, my recommendation is that, you know, reach out to, to your peers, reach out to other people in the industry. And that, those are the people that are going through the same problems that you are. And, you know, you can work together and it's maybe a little less lonely, a little less daunting. Great. Thanks. 
Uh, David? Sure. Uh, I'd like to first comment about uh, how impressive uh, this group is and these these wonderful questions. I mean, there's a couple of doozies out there, you know, we're, we're supposed to be the experts, but you know, these are like very tricky issues. And the fact that you see them and understand them at the depth that you do is really, really impressive. So that's, that's really fun to see. I guess uh, my parting comment would be on looking for ways of either it's a common interest or interconnectedness. Uh, and I'll, I'll use an example here. So we're in Northern New Mexico and uh, there's a saying, agua is vida, water is life. And everybody talks about the water here. And we're at the very top of the watershed. And below us are abusers, there's an old Spanish acequia system where they irrigate with an open air ditch system that dates back hundreds of years, but all their water comes from our mountains. So we truly are connected. And they're very concerned about water quantity and water quality. We're also in the West, which means you've got wildfire risk. And there, there are no boundaries when it comes to wildfire. So we've got forest service and wilderness around us. We've got the Pueblo lands around us. But we all need to do our part on forest health. We've got a lot of forest initiatives. But if you think about the water and you think about the forest, that has very little to do with the ski area. It has everything to do with a community and a community that is in, in this environment. So we look to find collaborative opportunities where we can do forest sustainability work together or watershed regenerative watershed projects together. And I think um, if you can, in, in the areas that you work, look for those areas where there's an interconnectedness or common interest, because if you could build off that, it's probably a really strong way to create your relationships. So it's, it's not just the ski business versus the local town. What can we do together to improve the region together? So look for those areas where you can connect. Charles, last word with you. Yeah, I would say, you know, kind of going back to two things. Um, one is that don't assume that the, the uh, community that you live in has it all figured out. Um, and I think that you should try to understand how the economy works, um, which parts are tourism, which parts aren't tourism, what's the population doing. Um, try to get a really good grounding in what's happened the past, you know, 50 years and what's what are the trends going forward so that you can think through what would be meaningful to this community to solve some of these problems based on the trends in the past and that you guys are all really smart and I think that you should should be able to come up with some ideas that somebody else hasn't thought of before. And, uh, and, and work with some like-minded people to try to get them accomplished. That wraps up our discussion on community and stakeholder engagement. Thank you again to our mentors, mentees, facilitator, and our sponsor, Mountain Guard. Do you have someone on your team who could benefit from listening in? Do them a favor and forward this podcast or check out the accompanying article in the January issue of SAM. We have more Summit Series episodes coming your way. Like, subscribe, and stay in touch at www.saminfo.com.
Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. The podcast advisor is Alex Kaufman, the Wintry Mix podcast guy. Thank you for tuning in to Pod Sam. <laughs>